Let me just read over you the, just the text that we're going to be looking at today. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our own ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Father, would you please empower your Holy Spirit, enable us to listen, enable me to speak. Would you be supernatural in how you allow us to understand your word today in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, have a seat. How's everybody doing? Well, I had a rough start to coming up here this morning. And so I'm coming in the door over here, and there's two ladies standing there, and one person reaches out to shake my hand. And as they reach out to shake my hand, I have a cup of coffee in my other hand. And as I go to shake their hand, because I'm, I'm so, like, just phenomenally agile, I hit my cup, and it goes flying towards these women. Now, in my head, I should have just let it hit them. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. But, you know, with my cat-like reflexes, I still fumble, and I hit it back at myself. And so if it looks like I have peed my pants this morning, I swear I haven't. So in other words, if you could on the cameras, keep it about right here, and we'll, we'll go from there. What we've been doing in the book of 2 Corinthians is really just looking at, and I think it's very important, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to follow Christ even in great difficulty. In fact, let me put it this way. I don't think it is possible to follow Jesus without difficulty. In fact, the moment that you chose to follow Jesus, whether you knew it or not, and let me just apologize off the front end on behalf of all of us that have ever shared our faith, and if you came to Christ this way, I promise you that my gospel presentations rarely, if ever, looked at a person and said, you're about ready to enter the most wonderful lives you can ever imagine, but it's also going to be one of the most difficult lives you could ever imagine. Choosing to follow Jesus Christ and following in his footsteps is not easy. Now, what Paul's doing with the Corinthians, and this is what is so important where we're going this morning, is that to them, now you got to put yourself back there in their shoes, to the Corinthians, who were these Epicureans where everything was about how we look and how we talk, and it was about having the tranquil, tranquil good life. Paul came into this situation, and he was the exact opposite. In fact, he confessed, I don't speak very well. 
He confessed he's not that great of a looking man. He confessed that he looks haggard. But if you got beat as many times as Paul did, you wouldn't look very good either. He wasn't the epitome of what people wanted. And so in it, his whole life, how he looked, everything about him did not make sense to them. And Paul knew it didn't make sense to them. All of this letter he's writing to them is that I get through your eyes how the world sees me. I don't make any sense as one that should be standing in front of you talking to you, but I'm telling you that how God views this is so much different. God is not concerned with great oratory skills, though he can provide them. God is not concerned with how we look on the outside, but he's concerned with the heart. God could care less in some ways about our tranquil life because he's much more concerned about his name being proclaimed all over the world. Paul says, I get that it doesn't make sense. I understand that. And to them, they couldn't receive it. And so in it, they kept looking at him confused. And finally, they start asking him, chapter 3, can you just give us some letters then? We need some letters of recommendation because maybe you're not all that. To which he responds, you guys are my letter. You're my proof. You lived with me. You saw how I lived with you. I cared for you. I walked with you. I was there sleepless nights with you. We walked together, cried together, laughed together. We did all these different things together. I don't need a letter of recommendation. You're it. You are proof of my, my commendation from God of what happened amongst you. In fact, starting in chapter 2, he explains to them, look, I was captured by Jesus. I used to be an enemy with Jesus. In fact, Paul in Romans 5 says all of us were at enmity with God, but God in his amazing grace reached down, grabbed Paul, and pulled him out of the life to which he had been a part of, and he portrays himself as this now slave being carried off to his death. But what we learned last week is that God now didn't make him a slave to be executed on the block, but instead he made peace with Paul. Paul didn't make peace with God. He made peace with Paul, and now Paul was no longer a slave. Paul wasn't just a servant of any kind. He was a slave and a servant, but also a son. And last week we learned he was an ambassador of the greatest message ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just say this. You are a part of the greatest thing ever, the message of reconciliation being taken all over the world. And that's why I keep asking you every week, do you know who you are? You're sons and daughters of the king. You're at peace with God. There's now no longer enmity between you and God. All has been reconciled. There's now no condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus, we are in a phenomenal position. And Paul says the only way that I'm going to make sense to you is if you start looking through those lenses. In fact, go with me. I don't have it up there, but just go with me. I want, I want you to see something. Open your Bibles, if you got them, to, to, first, to 2 Corinthians 5. He says in there, in verse 13, and, and you can just kind of catch up to me. I'm going to start in verse 13. He says, look, I know you don't get me. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, I get that you don't get me. I know that you look on me and it doesn't make sense through your lenses, your Corinthian lenses, your Epicurean lenses. But then he says this in verse 14. But the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Now just let this settle. 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you want to understand me, Paul says? I am gripped by the reality that there is truly a Jesus Christ who died, was buried, who rose again, who rescued me out of darkness, and now all of my life has become about that. If you want to understand me, those are the lenses you have to get me. Not only that, verse 16, but from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though that's how we used to look at Jesus in that way. We regard him thus no longer And this is so powerful, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, man, he is a new creation. This is why I keep asking, do you get who you are? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We've been reconciled to God, made peace, and that's why he finished with the end. Now it's the day of salvation. Paul says, those are the lenses you got to see me in. But in verse 13 now, he's going to acknowledge this again. Where chapter 6, verse 3, sorry. Chapter 6, verse 3, he says this. In how we did ministry, he says, we put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. What he's saying there is, look, we've been faithful. This life that you look on, that you look down on, these ones that have been captured by Christ, you understand everything about what we were trying to do was to help you get who Jesus was. The words that we said, the life that we lived, we put no obstacle in your way. We lived authentically amongst you. We told you the truth all of the time. We just sought to make sure that we presented to you not the Jesus that you wanted us to present to you or not the Jesus that others say he is, but we presented to you the Jesus of who he really is, the person and work of the Christ. We didn't cajole, we didn't manipulate, we didn't, we didn't do anything other than just present a clear path to Jesus. And one of the crucial issues of where we're going to see today, and it's those last little words up there where he says, in every way, by great endurance, he said, our commendation, if you want to know if our gospel's real, if you really want to test and approve the legitimacy of who we are, We did it in a very unique way, and he says, in every way, by great endurance. And actually, the way it should read is just, in every way, in great endurance. There should be no colon there. There's no colon there in the Greek. It's just one amazing, majestic thought. This is how we did ministry. He didn't have great speaking ability. He didn't have a certain look. He didn't have health or wealth. He didn't have tranquility. But he said, the thing you saw in front of you was in every way and great endurance, we modeled gospel. You saw it. Now, this passage, man, I was teaching the book of 2 Corinthians the, uh, the year that Francis left. So I'm just going to be a little transparent today, even though I didn't want to. I was teaching this particular book, and when Francis left, I'll be honest with you now, Seven, whatever years later, I was ready to go. I was like, you sucker. In the back of my head, everything was telling me to flee. How in the world could I ever compete with a short, bald man with long fingers? (laughs) 
An order, man, that guy could communicate. Authenticity of life, how could I compete? Everything in me was saying, run, run, just, just run, go to Montana, or more importantly, I guess now we say, don't go to Montana, go to Idaho, dude. Just go to Idaho. Get out of here. This passage, though, just kept resonating with Paul because Paul never quit. Paul never quit, and here's why I don't think he ever quit. He never quit because those moments in which obstacles seemed the greatest, those moments at which it seemed something that we couldn't overcome, those moments when it looked darkest and bleakest, he knew that was the place that he was going to encounter God. That was the place he was going to see the power of God. That is the place whereby which he was going to be transformed. That is the place now where in his weakness, God would be put on display and people would come to know Jesus. I just remember looking at that going, dude, you can't run? Paul's ministry just echoed. But I thought to myself, man, if, if I never preach, then I'll never bore people. <laughs> if I never share my faith, then I'll never be rejected. If I never confront, then I won't have conflict. That's what most marriages are based on. If I never lead, I'll never be criticized. If I never own my sin, I'll never be ashamed. If I never acknowledge my faults, I'll never be seen as weak. But Paul wasn't that way. This is his heart for the people. I'm trying to help you get something so important and so deep. I'm trying to help you understand that we as Christians, we have to get rid of this safe life mentality, this understanding of putting around ourselves safe and comfy and tranquil and embrace what God has done and now enter into the even the difficulty, the heartache, the suffering, not because we enjoy it. We're not masochists, not because we're looking for it, but because the moment that you chose to follow Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you chose to suffer. Now, some of you are like, I don't know if I chose to follow that Jesus. Jesus promised over and over and over to the guys that followed him, you want to follow me? Then you're going to take up your cross. That's what it looks like. We as Christians don't run from difficulty. We don't run from suffering. We run into it. And we're going to explain how Paul would do that. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to take this concept of in every way and in great endurance, and he's going to help us to understand now what his ministry looked like. And more importantly, I think he's trying to teach them what our Christian life is supposed to look like. So in this first context, the thing we have to understand is he's going to put it with a bunch of the words in. If you look up there in 6, 4 through 7a, if I, I kind of took it out of the Greek and I put it in there, but it's all these prepositional phrases. Aren't you glad I'm teaching you English today? Prepositional phrases that are explaining in this first part how it is that in every way he was doing ministry. In, 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 in to explain that. 
Then when we get to verses 7b through a, he's going to switch prepositions to this word through to explain how in every way and in great endurance. He's going to explain to them this great endurance that, that God enabled inside of his life. And then when we get to verses 8b through 10 in this section, he's going to then explain this is what it looks like when you put them all together. So that's where he's going to go. Now let's look at the first one. He has three that he's going to pull up that are called afflictions, hardships, and calamities. These are just the way I would put this, these are just general problems, general difficulties that we're going to face. He says, you saw my great endurance as just general trouble hit me. He explains it in these ones, especially when you kind of study the book of Acts, you see these three different things hitting him from all different angles. In fact, he's trying to use these three words to just encompass when it comes to just general trouble of living in the world, I've experienced all of them. He gets to the next one, and it's kind of what people did to him. He talks about beatings and imprisonments and riots. Man, you read the book of Acts, everywhere Paul went, didn't he just cause problems? It's almost like, man, if you're going to invite Paul over to your house for dinner, it's like, oh, never mind. Why don't you just stay back? Everywhere he went, people trouble. Not only that, and, and this is the next one that's so key here, is that in some ways he just brought it on himself. Labors, sleepless nights, hunger. That first word there, that labors, is this Greek word kapos, which means weariness and exhaustion. The, the next one that is sleepless is this, is this Greek word nesteia, which means, or excuse me, argopnia, which literally means watchings. It's the idea that I had to stay awake to keep guard over everything. And the last one's nesteia, which just means, in this case, they say hunger, but it just means empty. I was laboring to the point of weariness and exhaustion, I was trying to keep track over everybody. I was one who just felt empty. Now imagine if I started off a gospel presentation where I said, do you really want to learn what weariness and exhaustion is? Do you really want to learn what it means to, to sleep, have sleepless nights? Do you really want to know what it's like to be empty? Then follow Jesus. Seems strange, doesn't it? Why would Paul make such a big deal about this? I think he did it because he was trying to help people understand not himself, but the power of God in him. Paul has this statement when he's talking about ministry in the book of Colossians, and and he talks about this idea of teaching this group of people. He talks about this idea of confronting them. And he, he gets to the end point of it. And he says, we do it all for this one major purpose that you might be complete in Christ. And then he says, and for this purpose also, I labor, striving according to what? His power that works in me mightily. He doesn't wear those things around like a weird, awkward letterman's jacket, you know, going, yeah, here's the one I got in uh, KI, and here's the one I got over here. He talks about these things because he's about to unpack this reality that I walked through all of those different things. I entered into hardship, but more importantly, it was in there that I saw the power of God. In fact, I would say this. I think the reason that I and you do not experience the power of God like I think we can is the way that we avoid troubles at all costs because of how crazy comfort seekers we are. 
And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll agree with me. I talked a little earlier, remember, about this idea, if, if I never confront, then I'm going to have a great marriage. And I'll never forget, the guy told me, he said, the best piece of advice I can tell you is just always look at your wife and say, yes, dear. Did you hear that one? I tried that out for the first five years of marriage. I started to realize that the more time that I said, yes, dear, my wife was not receiving the confrontation that she needed to look like Jesus. And so then I thought, my job then is to confront her. Why do you laugh? <laughs> Started to confront her. But I, and I thought to myself, what a great husband I am. Look at me trying to help her look like Jesus. Woman, you are blessed to have such a man of the cloth like me. Glory to God. Let's, yeah. Little did I know, though, this is not what Paul was talking about. He did it, and if you look at this next part about it, with a different way. He said, I walk through all these different things, not like, but not like people normally do. He says, in this great endurance, I endured differently. Watch what he says up there. He says, I did it by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by, here's the one thing I lacked, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God. He wasn't angry. He didn't kind of get in there and find this self-pity. He wasn't trying to say, I'll show you. Instead, something was happening within him that he was able to do it with integrity. It was based upon God's truth. He reacted with love. He showed love. There was honesty. And in the very middle of that verse, you find the truth of why was Paul not only able to walk through those, but in all these words to come out more sweet and more gentle and more loving. And it's that two, there's two words that are put there, Holy Spirit. He said, you want to know how I did that? Not by myself. It was the power of God. Look at that last word. It was the power of God being lived out through me as I walked through these things on dependence of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit began to grip my life and began to change and transform me into the true person that I was, the beauty of what happened is, is I was showed to be genuine. I was able to become gospel true. I was able to see that Jesus is worth it. I was being able to see that people are worth it, that I can love them. And this is where I think he's at, is that people, People, we can talk at them all we want, but there's something so powerful when we walk through difficulty, and it doesn't make us sour and dour, but it makes us sweet. Ever seen those people? And I'll never forget one day, Josh Walker and I went to visit a guy that was almost ready to die. We walked in the room, man, and he just kind of, things had kind of gone a little difficult for him, and his eyes were closed, and he had this huge smile on his face. And as we walked in, the door closed. He looked at us, and he, he goes, ah. I thought, we're just coming to love you, dude. I go, are you, man, how are you doing? I go, I didn't mean to cause a sour look on your face. He goes, I was just sitting here thinking about the fact that what I'm walking through right now is transforming me more and more to look like Jesus. And he said, those nurses cannot deny that when I walk through my cancer with joy and gladness and happiness, they have to start believing the gospel that I believe. 
wasn't dour, wasn't sour, just got sweet. I remember one time I was having uh, breakfast with a guy that's kind of a well-known communicator, and he suddenly dropped off the map. And I remember saying to him, I said, how have you stayed so joyful as you've aged through life? And he said, Todd, be careful of the man that you are when you're 65. Because at 65, if you're dour and sour and not walking with Jesus, you'll just become more dour and sour. But if you're a man that's walking with Jesus in the sweetness of Jesus, you'll just become more sweet. And I've seen that too. There's something so powerful about the Holy Spirit in our lives that Paul says that we submit ourselves to him, that when we keep in step with it, Galatians tells us, that out of our life begins to come love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and meekness, self-control, against such things. He says there is no law. There is something so undeniable and apologetic to the world that when we go through those difficulties and we don't become dour and sour but more sweet, it tells the world... Jesus Christ is true. And Paul just said, man, this is who I am. This is what you don't get about me. I walk into that difficulty and I walk in there not because I'm a masochist, but because Jesus walked into those things. And because Jesus walked into hardship and difficulty, I walk into it too. And from it comes imprisonments and beatings. From it comes calamities. From it comes honor and dishonor. All these things that come from it. But I'm telling you, as you walk into it, something powerful happens that he talks about in this next verse. He says this, I enter into it with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And what does that mean? The key word that's there is it shouldn't be with. It actually should be this word through, and it's this, through weapons produced by righteousness. If you got your Bibles and you want to make a little note in there, make that little note. Paul isn't talking about the fact that he's got two six-shooters like Yosemite Sam going, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that I think is so powerful and real when we walk through these things. The promise of 2 Corinthians 5.21 is that we would become the righteousness of God. Now, last week, I thought Thomas did such a great job of explaining that there is a righteousness of God that is not of ourselves, that when Jesus Christ died for us and we were placed in Christ, now the way the Father sees us is a place of peace. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, and all of us in here that know Jesus are fully accepted as sons and daughters of the King, and to that we should all say amen. Okay, thank you. But there's more to it. This righteousness is also a way of life. It's the way a set-apart person lives. Paul, back in 2 Corinthians 3.18, said, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And let me just stop there. He wasn't being transformed by going off into a mountain and going, Oh, I just want to see God. That's not what was going on. Everything about 2 Corinthians is not about these special intimate times, which I think you should have with Jesus. But that's not what he's talking about in the context of everything he's telling us about 2 Corinthians. He says, do you want to know where I found this God? Do you want to know where I was transformed into the image of his son? Do you want to know how from one degree of glory to another this is happening in difficulty? 
That's how I became this person. That's why I don't run from difficulty. I know in there I'm going to encounter God and this idea now that produces righteousness is that I become then thoroughly equipped to handle any attack. Look how he says in there. He talks about this idea of the right hand and the left. It just means I am thoroughly to be able to to handle it. So that means if dishonor or honor comes with my way, left or right hand, I'm able to deal with that personal treatment in a different way, not because of my righteousness, but because of now a righteous God who's declared me righteous, but now is making me righteous to look more and more like Jesus. As I walk into that difficulty and I face slander and praise about what people say about me, don't worry about what they say about you because in the midst of that difficulty, God is using it to transform you from one glory to another into the image of his son. Therefore, Paul didn't have to get angry at people. Paul didn't have to look down upon people. Paul didn't have to run from the situation. He knew that when that difficulty hit, not only was he going to encounter God, but he was going to be a man that would be transformed And then, more importantly, this transformed man becomes an undeniable witness to the world. He says, don't run. Entering into that difficulty is the means by which now we become transformed into the image of his son. That means we don't move away from confrontation. Why? Because in the midst of confrontation, when done in the power of the Holy Spirit, people are going to be transformed. That means we don't run away from preaching, looking stupid and boring people. And I know some of you out there are bored because I see your faces. But that's a whole other story. We don't do that. Why? Because every time that we walk through difficulty, we encounter God. And when we encounter God, we are transformed. And when we are transformed, a message comes out of our life, Paul says, that is absolutely undeniable. Walk through it, he says. In 1 Corinthians, in fact, just, just go there. I don't have it in my notes. But go to 1 Corinthians 10. Let me, let me let you see this. In this case, he's talking about temptation. But I think you could put in there suffering, difficulty. People so abuse this passage. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, did I say 1, 13? 10, 13, everybody with me? 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Just know what I mean, not what I say. Gosh. Those of you younger kids, that's why you shouldn't do drugs in high school. 10, 13, 1 Corinthians. Russell, you said that kind of arrogantly. You see, no, I felt demeaned by you. But God's transforming me because of your abuse. (laughs) Look at this. No temptation. I think you could put suffering in on this. I think you could put difficulty has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God is faithful, and he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's where we usually stop. Oh, God. going to make me walk through difficult stuff. God, I knew I had favor with you because you're not going to make me walk through difficulty. And then, but, with the temptation, with the suffering, with the difficulty, he will also provide the way of escape. But look at that you may be able to what? Endure it. Don't run. Just don't run. 
Now in this, he's trying to build an argument, I believe, that's trying to, to lay out this reality for us to help us to understand that there's something bigger that we're involved in. In Philippians, he, he talked about this. He says, look, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, I had everything. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as the righteousness of the law and blameless. I had it all. I looked the part. I, could, I had the part. I looked the part. Everything was going great for me, but... Whatever gain I had, I counted it all as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, somehow something that I endeavor within me that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, which depends on faith, that I might, look at this, know him and the power of the resurrection that I might share in his ease and comforts and become, oh, let me go back, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And look at this, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, do you want to understand what I'm about? That's it. That's what you want to get, get about me. And so he goes in and he's going to kind of pull these things together. Now, the way that he does it in verses 8 through 10 is he said, look, I know we look like imposters. I know we look like unknown. I know we look like we're dying. I know we look like we're punished. I know we look like we're sorrowful. I know we look like we're poor. I know like we, have, we look like we have nothing. That's what we look like. I get it. But I think he's doing something so powerful here to help us to understand that this path is worth it. See, I think you could take him out and I think you could put Jesus in there because Jesus was treated as an imposter. Jesus was treated as unknown. Jesus was treated as dying. Jesus was punished. Jesus was sorrowful. He was the man of many sorrows. Jesus was poor. Jesus did appear to have nothing. I think he's setting this argument up and saying, it's so funny, isn't it? You guys want to follow those super apostles, these guys that have it all together, that speak well, look nice. They have everything that you're supposed to have. They have this tranquil life. This is what Jesus looks like. This is what I look like. Who do you want to follow? I wouldn't follow them. I'd follow the one that looks like Jesus. But his point in putting this out is, though, is you're misperceiving something. See, sure, we might be imposters and we might be somebody that is unknown, but tell, he's going to tell them the truth. You got to understand, though, we are true. We are true because we follow the man of truth. We are well known, not because people know us, but because God knows us. He puts it in there. We live. We're, we're not killed. Sure, we may look like we're dying, but let me tell you something. As every moment that it looks like I'm dying, actually the new man is being renewed, and one day, while death may take this body, I will stand in front of Jesus Christ one day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and I will enter into life, life like I have never even imagined before. Paul says it looks like it. It may look like it, but didn't it kind of look like Jesus was losing on the cross? 
Every pounding of the nail, it so looked like the king of kings wasn't the king of kings. He wasn't the Lord of glory. He wasn't who he said he was. And as he breathed his last, it looked like Jesus lost. But we all know this. At the moment he breathed his last, gave up his spirit to the Father, declared it is finished. We know this. At that particular moment, all sin of those that know Jesus Christ was declared to be forgiven forever. He had conquered sin. He had conquered Satan. He had conquered death. He was then ushered through the angelic realm, according to the book of 2 Peter, or 1 Peter, and he was proclaimed in front of all the angelic realm that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. And then three days later, he arose from the grave, defeated death, to which God declared him at that moment to truly be the king that he was, inaugurating a kingdom that was to come. Jesus didn't lose on the cross. He defeated everything. Everything. And Paul says, that's our life. It looks like we're losing. It looks like we are sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing because we consider it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and nerves, let nerves have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We know that we're making many rich, not with wealth and prosperity like the world thinks, but when somebody embraces Jesus Christ, they come to know him. They become a son or a daughter. They now become ones who have a guaranteed inheritance, which, by the way, happens to be everything. You, if you sit here today and you know Jesus, do you realize you possess everything? You're not poor. Paul says, I know it looks like it. We're not losing. I know it so often looks like Christians are losing. We're not. And that's why Paul says, look, I've been honest with you. I spoke freely to you. My heart's wide open, he says. You're not restricted by us. We've told you everything you need to know. You're only restricted by your own affections. You, you love the wrong things. In return, he just says, widen your hearts also. What do we take from that? I really wrestled through how to end this. I started asking myself the question, does my life look foolish to the world? I mean, every time I go speak somewhere, they'll be like, oh, you're the, you're the guy that took over for Francis, right? That, and it's almost like I can tell in their eyes, that was stupid. You ever feel like we're playing it way too safe? I think what this passage says to us is we're playing it way too safe. I think we've forgotten who we are. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact, and I'm not talking about people that are out for a death wish, but I, I, you can't die until God determines you're going to die. Isn't that crazy? You can't die until God determines you're going to die. You can never fall out of the love of the Father. For as far as the east is from the west, he separated sin from us. 
His love is immense and it stretches beyond anything that we can comprehend, Romans 8, 38-39. I just sometimes feel like we're playing too safe. I think we're playing too safe because our affections are misplaced. I think the last two weeks of Chris and, and then hearing Thomas preach last week, I think too often I forget that my home is not here. This is Motel 6. Tom Bodette's about ready to turn off the light. What's awaiting us? I was in the book of John this week. And you know when the apostles in John 14 are sitting there going, Jesus, no, don't leave. Don't leave. It's going to be awful. You can't walk away. you got to stay here. And he's like, no, no, you want me to leave. Trust me. Because when I leave, not only that, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and you're going to do greater things than me. But here's what's crazy. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. I am going to prepare a place for you. What is that going to be like? I'll confess to you, I've grown too happy here. Not escapism, I don't mean that. Man, I love that God has me here. I love this world that he's created. I love what I get to do. But this is not our home. This is purely this beautiful place that we get to enjoy that one day this world will be resurrected too. And when it is resurrected to be the world that God intended, finally at that point you will hear, God's kingdom is with man. Shalom that we talked about earlier has finally arrived. But in this meantime, we don't check out. We do not lose heart. We do not quit. Oh, no. We place our eyes firmly on Jesus and the home that he has for us, and we go We go and live with an abandon, an abandon that has to do with this reality that God has in store for us an eternal kingdom that will never end. And so therefore, in this life, we can be tired. We can be worn out. We can feel empty. But we're going to then in those moments learn that you can't exhaust the power of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you. So what do I say to end this? May you go in the name of the Father, who is absolutely the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. May you go in the name of the Son, the one who came and conquered sin and Satan and death so that we might now be called sons and daughters of the King. And may you go in the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live lives that encounter God, that transform us and declare to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. May you go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit boldly, not safely. May God bless you. Amen. Amen. All right.